Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. So a couple weeks ago, Terry and I got a phone call from a girl who used to be in our youth group when we were youth pastors in Kansas City a long time ago. We met Lauren when she was 15 years old, and she, she just became one of our closest friends. Even then, we loved her so much. Our kids loved her. And, uh, and so she's just a super dear friend. A couple weeks ago, she FaceTimed us uh, from just a, a weird random rural road out in the middle of the country. It was very scenic and beautiful, but it was just kind of odd to be getting this FaceTime from her out there. And, uh, and she gets us on, on the screen, and she says, hey, I, I just have an announcement I want to make to you guys. I want to tell you guys something. And we're like, what? What is it? And she's like, I just got engaged. So literally, she FaceTimes us from the place where her boyfriend had taken her out to this beautiful scenic location, got down on one knee, put the ring on her finger and asked her to marry him. And then she FaceTimed us immediately. It was so cool. I mean, just the best feeling in the world. For, I mean, for a couple reasons. One, because I was like, is this thing ever going to happen for her? So that was a relief. And then also because like being the first call on a big announcement like that, being the first call on just a, a big moment, was just, it was super cool and exciting. And I think that there's, there's, it's the last step in the process of her engagement that like finalized it. It was the announcement, right? Because, I mean, she got in the ring, she was engaged, but was she really engaged before she told people? Now, I don't know, I, you guys can tell me what you think. I mean, but think about it this way. So like if, if I asked Terry to marry me, and I put the ring on her finger, and then the next morning she takes the ring off and puts it on, on the nightstand and goes to work, and we don't tell anybody, are we engaged? Okay, somebody says, Missy's like, yes, you're engaged, zip this. <laughs> I don't know, I just, I kind of feel like, I feel like the last step of the engagement is the most important, that's the announcement. And think about it this way, think about like, other important events in life, how the announcement really kind of like makes it real, like it announces it to the world. It's the final step. Uh, Chad and Sophie Barth are staff pastors at Nexus Church, a church that we planted a little over a year ago. And uh, they just announced on Facebook with this beautiful picture montage that they are pregnant and having a baby. And it's the announcement, right, that finalizes it. You know, the picture of Chad kissing her stomach, which in any other context is just gross on Facebook. But, like, it's, it's real. And even, even before they put it on Facebook, when they told us, they didn't just be like, oh, hey, just so you know, we're pregnant. No, it was an announcement. It was, like, important. It was like, hey, we want to sit down and tell you something. And we're like, please not divorce. Please not divorce. And it's like, we're pregnant. That was a joke. Chad and Sophie are never going to get divorced, just so you know that. But, but the announcement, even to us, before the real announcement, it mattered. It was a big deal. A relationship. Of a dating relationship, it's not real until what? Until it's Facebook official, right? The announcement is the final and maybe, you know, one of the key important steps in any sort of, you know, event or thing that's going on. And I think it's because this is there's something about, there's something about good news that makes it incomplete until it's announced. Something about exciting and great news that it just, it's not formal, it's incomplete. There's something missing until it's actually shared. And it's the same with grace. We've been talking about grace over these last five weeks, and this is the last week of our Soul Set Free message series. And, and man, I tell you, if, if you have not 
heard this, any of this series, or if you've missed some weeks, I would encourage you to go to our website and download the podcast, because this is probably one of the most transformative series that we've done. Because I believe this, when followers of Jesus can understand the true width and power and radical nature of God's grace, it can just transform everything for us. And you know, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here today, like, for you, even for you, I'm, first of all, I'm thrilled you're here, but for you to understand, like, what is it that we, as followers of Jesus, believe about God's grace? I, I, I believe this. When you grasp that, you can understand that it can be transformative for your life as well. But I believe that the, the same thing about announcing big news and good news in, in people's lives, it's the same with grace. It's that the good news of God's grace is what God, it's what God has done for us. This is what Romans chapter 10 says. It says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the good news. That's the good news of God's grace. That all you have to do to be made right with God, all you have to do to be accepted by God is simply say yes to him. That's his offer of grace to you. That, that when you say yes to Jesus, when you put your trust in him, that now all of a sudden your entire past is just gone. All the things you've ever done, all the things you regret and are ashamed of, that when God looks at you now, he looks at you and he sees you just as if you had never sinned, you'd never done those things. And, he, and the coolest thing is he looks at you as if you're never gonna sin again. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, that when God sees you, when God sees me, he sees us through the lenses of his son, Jesus. That is, that is God's radical grace. That on your worst day, God looks at you and he sees the perfection of Jesus. And he loves you as if you were perfect, like he loves Jesus. That's God's grace. That's the power of the good news. And the good news is that everyone has access to this by simply saying yes to what God has done and, and calling on the name of the Lord. So this is the best news ever, right? That's it. It's the good news. We've been building up for five weeks talking about this good news of God's grace. And now in this last week, what comes next? What is, what is it in the life of the follower of Jesus once we grasp God's grace and once we begin to like see it, how it really functions and works in our lives, what comes next? And I'm really glad you asked because the Apostle Paul continues in Romans chapter 10 to describe what comes next for us. And he says this. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never even heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? So Paul, he lays out the, the good news, the gospel that everyone has access to salvation. Everyone has access to right relationship with God, to acceptance by God, by simply putting their trust in him. But then he asks this rhetorical question. He's like, but how can they believe if they don't, hear it how can they hear it if nobody tells them and and how can anybody tell them if nobody actually goes out and is sent to go share the good news and in fact this is what Paul is really asking Paul's saying this how can good news change anything if it never goes public how 
can good news change anything if it never becomes Facebook official, right? How can anybody respond to your engagement and react to it if they're never told about your engagement? And like, dudes, let's be honest, like, why would you expect guys to not hit on your girlfriend or your fiance at this point if there's not a ring on her finger, right? It doesn't change things. How can the good news change things if it's never shared? And here's the, here's the thing for those of us who are followers of Jesus. The natural conclusion to God's grace. The natural wrap-up, the natural conclusion to those who've experienced God's grace is to share that grace with other people. The natural conclusion to those who've experienced God's grace is to share it with other people. And that means this, that means that, that there's something about the good news that makes it incomplete until it's shared. And that perhaps the, the final and most powerful step in your soul being set free is to participate in setting someone else's soul free. Does that make sense? The most powerful, one of the most powerful and important steps in your soul being completely set free by the power of God's grace is participating in setting someone else's soul free. So here's what I want to do. I, I know this. I know I grew up in church, and when I, as I grew up in church, I heard so many times, like, you need to tell people about Jesus. You need to share your faith. You need to evangelize. And when I was in Bible college, when I was in Bible college, we had a professor, and he taught a class that I was in called personal evangelism. And he used to get up in his suit. He was like textbook TV evangelist guy. He had a suit, a tie every day. He had the biggest, shiniest white teeth I've ever seen in my life. And he would get up and he'd say, students, you need to evangelize or fossilize. And I was like, I'll never forget that. Evangelize or fossilize. You can take that home with you. Tweet it. But my point is this. I grew up in church hearing you got to share your faith. You got to tell people about Jesus. You got to share your faith. And if I'm being totally honest, and I think probably some of you guys who are followers of Jesus are with me on this. I mean, totally honest, it was not easy. It was challenging. It was hard. There were, a lot of, there were a lot of things and a lot of reasons why I didn't do it very often. And, and it's not only the reasons we don't do it. I think sometimes we have reasons not to do it, and we'll talk about those in a second. I think we have reasons that exist that we sh to, to do it that we don't necessarily understand or that we haven't processed or thought through. And that maybe, maybe for some of us who are Christians, we don't even actually see a, a huge mandate or importance in sharing Jesus. In fact, this is interesting. Statistically, that there's a, there's a huge portion of the, the church today, followers of Jesus, who don't believe that it is important to share their faith with other people. And they think that a relationship with Jesus is very personal for me, but that sharing it is not something that I should do or is important for me to do at all. And so here's what I want to do today in wrapping up this series, believing and starting off with this foundational point that God's grace has transformed me and that the final work of transformation God wants to do in me is to use me to transform someone else. Believing that, I want to share just five quick practical steps to help us share Jesus more in our world and in our lives. Okay, so if you're a follower of Jesus, jot this junk down. If you're not a Christian here today, this is going to be great for you too. Don't check out on me, okay? Because here's what I want for you. I want you to hear these things so that you can kind of understand what God's heart really is for people who are followers of Jesus when they share their faith with people maybe like you who don't believe in any of this stuff. I want you to really grasp what God's heart is, that it's not about proselytizing, it's not about judging, it's not about beating people over the head, but it's about something very different than that. So five steps to sharing Jesus more. And the first one that we can do is this, and that's just pray for people who don't know Jesus. Pray for people who don't know Jesus. All of us have had like someone in our lives who we were infatuated with, right? You're in junior high, 
and you see that guy or girl, and you're like, oh, well, she's cute. And uh, I don't know her yet because we just started junior high. To get, I got junior hires in the room, and they're like, oh, don't tell my secrets. But you, like, you see him, you're like, oh, I don't know her yet, but I want to. And so what do you do? You start to, like, figure out her class schedule. And, like, what classes do I share with her? Is she in any activities? Is she in choir? Because maybe I could sing maybe if she's in choir. And, and so you start to, like, find out her interests, and you, you th- start to think about it, right? You're like, oh, man, she's so cute. What, what if I asked her out? Would she say yes? I don't know. Maybe you start to get to know her friends and see what kind of friends she hangs out with. You just want to learn more about her. You want to know as much as you can about her life. Uh, I don't know if guys do this. Well, actually, maybe guys done this. You start writing her name with your last name. Or girls, maybe you started writing, you know, your name with his last name. And it's like you start to, there's this weird, like, obsession that happens in your mind when you start to become infatuated with someone when you're young. Or maybe not so young. You know what I'm saying? And so... So as that process continues, there reaches this point where you've, you've obsessed and you've thought about it so much that eventually it has to lead to the moment where you talk to him. And maybe you write the note, do you like me, yes or no? Or, or will, you be, will you go out with me? And it's like, yes, I don't even know what go out means. You never go out in junior high. In fact, you probably never even have a single conversation after that note is filled out, but it's like, we are going out. And so, so all of that obsession, it starts with infatuation, and then you just think about it, and you think about it, and you think about it, and you think about them, and you think about them, and then finally it becomes action. You ask them out, and they obviously say yes. Here's the thing is that this is, this is a great example of what it looks like and what happens in our lives when we begin to pray for people who we know who don't know Jesus. You see, we begin, rather than just having them in our lives, we begin thinking about them. And we begin thinking about what does their life look like? What is their, what's going on in their life? What is, what, how does my relationship with them impact their life? And what, how could their life be better if Jesus was in it? And we, as we pray for them, they begin to fill our thoughts and we begin to obsess about them a little bit. Like, man, God could do amazing things in their lives if they just invited him and he could transform it, he could change them. And as that process of thinking about them and thinking on them continues as we pray for them, it eventually reaches the point where the thought and the prayer become action. And so, so the, just praying for people puts them on your heart, puts them on your mind until the point where you actually take a step into, into telling them about Jesus. Thought becomes action. And then there's also this really cool added benefit that prayer works. And so sometimes when you pray for someone, for God to do something in their life, you begin to see the Spirit of God move in their life. And the Spirit of God move in your life. And opportunities come up where you begin to have conversations that really didn't have much to do with you trying that hard and had everything to do with you saying, God, give me an opportunity to talk to them. And then the next thing you find out, you're both stuck in the elevator at work for 20 minutes. Go figure. This is what um, Paul writes about this in 1 Timothy. He write, he's writing a letter to his protege, Timothy, teaching him and encouraging him on how to share his faith. And he says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. This is why you need to pray for people, because God wants them to be saved, and prayer will make a difference. He says this again in Romans 10, chap, or chapter 10, verse 1, which is just the beginning of the passage we looked at earlier. It says, brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. This is God's heart, and this should be the heart of every follower of Jesus. And so we pray for people. As we pray for them, our, our thoughts turn to action. As we pray for them, God begins to move. And as we pray for them, our hearts begin to become softer and more, more tender to people who don't know Jesus and, what God, and, and about what God wants to do in their life. So number one, pray for people who don't know Jesus. Number two, know your own story. Know your own story. 
So the first century church, when this whole thing kicked off, like we are 2,000 years in the making. This is like the 2,000 you know, year iteration of what the church looks like. When the church first started, I don't know if you know this, they didn't have buildings. There were no church buildings. When the church first started, there was no Bible. The Bible was really, it wasn't even really written yet at the time. They had the Old Testament Jewish scriptures, but the New Testament, it exists. It was just, it was in their heads. It didn't exist yet. Nobody had written it. They didn't have uh, money. They didn't have power. They didn't have profile. They didn't have the internet or social media to help market their church. They didn't have any of those things. And yet somehow... The first century church started with, you know, a hundred or so people just in a room praying. And from that hundred or so people, it advanced into 3,000 and then it advanced into tens of thousands and then hundreds of thousands. And then 2,000 years later, there are millions and millions and millions of followers of Jesus all across the world. Because of what started 2,000 years ago with a bunch of people who didn't have a building, didn't have Bible, didn't have money, didn't have the internet. But you know what they did have? Here's what they had. They had the story of what Jesus had done in their lives. And that was it. They had the story of what Jesus had done in them. Now, many of them had the benefit of actually walking with Jesus and knowing him personally one-on-one, but not all of them in the very beginning. They just had the story of what happened in their lives. They had the story of what their life was like before Jesus, how Jesus came into their lives and what happened when they met him, and then how their lives were different after Jesus came into their lives. That's what they had. They had their stories. But here's what's interesting. This is what happened. They begin to write those stories down. And as they wrote those stories down, they begin to be collected into these kind of books, uh, the stories of their testimonies. And, and as those books begin to gather and begin to spread around through churches and people of faith, uh, these stories, as written down, became the New Testament. And they became the Bible. And so we have these stories. We read them and we see the amazing things that God did 2,000 years ago. And they encourage us and they inspire us and they're remarkable and amazing. But you know what has happened? As we read their stories, oftentimes we begin to replace their stories with our stories. Or our stories with their stories. In fact, and what we do is we diminish the power of our story and we, we look at their stories as the only thing, the only story where God's power exists. The only stories that, that can show the power and the grace and the love of God are their stories and our stories are just kind of pushed down. And this is what's crazy about that is that back then, their story was all that they had. It was everything. And listen, their stories are amazing. Their stories are the Bible, okay? Their stories are absolutely incredible. But Jesus used this illustration to talk about how God works and how God wants to work in your life and in my life. And he tells this kind of illustration of of wine and wineskins that they used back then to keep wine. And he says this. He says, you would never take brand new wine and pour it into or keep it in an old old crusted out wine skin. You wouldn't do it. If you've got new wine, you're going to take it. It's fresh and it's exciting and you're going to pour it into a new wine skin. And what he means is this, is that God is doing a new thing. God has a new work, a new thing he wants to do in your life. There's something exciting and thrilling that God has for you. 
and that God is not interested in doing this new thing by pouring it into the old stories of people who already lived it out. He wants to pour it into the people who are living now. God wants to write a story out of your life and use that story to make a difference in exactly the same way he's used their stories to make a difference for thousands of years. There's power in your story. Look at what what Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15. And Peter was Jesus' closest disciple, one of his closest friends. And this is what Peter says. He says, if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. And again, who was Peter writing to? He wasn't writing to people who were like going through Bible studies. They didn't have the Bible. What did they have to explain their hope in Jesus? They had the story of what God had done in their life. People who don't know, people who don't know and don't trust and don't believe in the Bible, we we all have people like that in our lives, right? You might even be in this room. You might be a person who's like, Bible, I don't believe it. There's people who don't believe, don't know, don't trust the Bible. And those people in your life are never going to be moved by the story of Jonah and the whale. Those people are never going to be moved by, uh, you know, the story out of the book of Acts about how a blind man was healed. And do you know why they're never going to be moved by that? Because they don't believe it. And really to them, there's no reason for them to believe those things. But you know what they can't argue? You know what they can't tear down? And let me tell you this. This is not even confrontational like us against them because that is not it. I'm saying, you know what, they don't even want to tear down your story of what God has done in your life. Because what God's doing in you today is every bit as powerful as all of the things that God did in the Apostle Paul's life, everything that God did in the disciples' lives 2,000 years ago, and all of the stories that you read in the New Testament. And people who don't have any reason to trust or believe the Bible, when you tell them your story about what your life was like before Jesus, about how Jesus came into your life, and about how now what your life is like, Not only do they not want to tear that down, but the credibility that they have in relationship with you can connect with them in ways that the Bible stories of old can't. I'm not diminishing the power of Scripture. I would never do that. But I'm I'm trying trying to help you understand that we underestimate the power of our story. Scripture even tells us this, that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We overcome by what Jesus did and our story about how it impacted and intersected our life. I'm going to get off my high horse, so I'll just keep going on that one forever. Okay, that's number two. Pray for people, right? Pray for people who don't know Jesus. Two, know your story. And then the third one is this. Replace fear with love. Replace fear with love. Why do we not tell people about Jesus? I mean, what if we boil down the reasons, like... You ever like, you ever see someone and you're like, oh man, I know I need to talk to them about Jesus. I know, I know that they need to know and I know it would be a huge difference in their lives. And then you don't. What is the thought process? What is the thing that goes through your mind? At its root, it's mostly fear. Because we're, we're afraid. Like, I'm afraid I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm afraid that they're going to be offended. I'm afraid that I'm going to bumble things up because I don't know enough about the Bible. And I'm going to be like, you know, I, I think Satan has something to do with it. I don't know. Let's call my pastor. You know, I'm afraid I'm just, I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'm going to do it at work and I'm going to get marginalized. And I don't, I'm afraid. And dude, here's mine. This is my big one. I'm afraid that I'm going to get lumped in with all the Christian wackos that, that exist out there. And that like that YouTube video that your non-Christian friends like to share and laugh out about the Christian wacko. That like for real, I'm like one step away from that Christian wacko in their mind. And so like, honestly, like that's, we're afraid. And we need to be able to replace fear with love. 
let me ask you this. Just raise your hand and keep it up for me. Raise your hand if you've ever offended someone, ever in your life. Yeah? How about, if keep your hand up. Raise your hand if you've ever made someone mad at you. More hands went up. Like, I didn't offend them, but they're mad at me. Yeah. Okay, now, maybe you're a really nice person. Raise your hand if there's ever been anyone in your life who, for whatever reason, just didn't like you. Okay, now this is crazy. Okay, all the hands that are up, this is wild. I'm going to tell you something that's just going to blow your mind. Everyone who's offended someone, who had someone mad at them, or had someone didn't like them, you guys survived. You're all still alive. You made it. You did it. It didn't kill you, right? Yeah, give yourselves a hand. We got a room full of survivors in here, right? Someone was mad at you and you made it. Now, I'm not trying to like make light of that because I know there's some offenses that are like really hurtful and like there's some things that you really, some of us have things we raised our hand for and we're like, I'm re- I have to work through that and it's really deep and painful. But like, I would be willing to bet that 80% of us when we raised our hand and we thought about the person who was mad at us or the person we offended or the person who doesn't like us, I bet that 80% of us are like, oh man, that's a funny story. I should tell someone that because that makes me laugh, right? Because here's the thing, in the moment, it was devastating. In the moment, it was horrifying. In the moment, the fear of offending someone or them being mad at you was crippling and paralyzing. And now, weeks, months, years later, you're like, oh dude, that was hilarious. And the reason is, is because in the moment, fear can take over and it can just paralyze you and stop you from doing anything. But when when you remove fear from the equation, when you know the outcome of it and you don't have to be afraid of it anymore, you realize that it wasn't that big a deal. So how do we take fear out of the equation when it comes to telling people about Jesus? How do we remove fear from situations and circumstances where, where we're just like, I know that person needs Jesus in their life, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I can't do it. Well, let, let me just ask you this question. Parents, have you, ever, um, have you ever done something to your kids or made them do something that made them mad? But you knew it was what was best for them? Like, parents laugh. You're like, duh, I make my kids mad literally every day. But you do it because you love them. Like, you do these things that make them mad because you love them and you want what's best in their lives. My kids have, con- have these restrictions on their phone. And I can control it from my phone. So I can shut down their apps. I can turn their phones off. I can control the amount of time they spend doing things. Parents, talk to me afterwards. I'll, I'll hook you up. Uh, it's awesome. But you know what my kids do? They hate it. They hate it. And like, seriously, like, if I go, if I just, there's one of my kids in particular. If I go to this child, and I'm just like, hey, can I look at your phone? That's all I have to say. Hey, can I look at your phone? It's like, you know what I'm saying? And it makes them mad. But listen, I don't care. I'm doing it because I love them. I want to protect them from things that can hurt them on the internet and things that they have access to all the time. I want to protect them from pornography. I want to protect them from predators. I want to protect them from online bullying and, and you know, just exposure to things that could warp and twist their minds and their thought processes up. I'm protecting them from that stuff. And so I'm not afraid of my kids being mad at me because I love them and I'm acting out of love. And, and as followers of Jesus, listen, we, God has done something in our lives. God's grace to me is the best thing that ever happened to me, okay? This is not about judgment, about someone being bad and me being good, not in the least. God's grace in my life is the best thing that ever happened to me. And it transformed me and changed my life. And if, if I believe that God did it for me and he wants to do it for them, then out of love... Out of love, I cannot let fear stop me if I believe that God's grace could do something remarkable and transformative in that person's life. 
Check it out. This is what scripture says about fear and love. I think you're going to find this interesting. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. So we already know that the antidote to fear of telling people about Jesus is to shift our mindset from one of fear to recognizing, I love this person. I want what's best for them. But check this out. 2 Timothy 1, 7 through 8. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Now, we hear that verse a lot, and we use that verse a lot. You know, my kids, there's a monster in their closet. You know what, it's okay. God didn't give us a spirit of fear. You know, don't be afraid of the monster. You know, our bank account is low, and it's like, oh, my gosh, everything's going to fall apart. I'm going to, you know, lose everything. They're going to cut my car back. You know what, it's okay. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Don't be afraid. Trust. But look at the specific context that Paul writes this passage Look at what he's exactly specifically talking about. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So, because of that, never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Never be ashamed to tell people about Jesus, is what Paul is saying. He's like, Paul's saying, I know sometimes you can be afraid, but God didn't give us a spirit of fear when it comes to telling people about Jesus. He gave us a spirit of power and love. And love. And when we replace fear with love... All of a sudden, it transforms everything. If you believe that the power of grace has set your soul free and that it can do the same for for people who will believe in Jesus, then that love requires you to tell those people about Jesus. And fear will never stop you. All right, number four. And this one, I think this one is a little tougher. I'm not sure, but this I think this one might be a little sticky for some people. And it's this. Number four, in order to tell people more about Jesus, we need to assume their brokenness. We need to assume their brokenness. Now, I know that sounds really, that sounds really judgy, right? It sounds like you, that's judging other people. I, it, let, me, let me explain. So if, if I'm in the emergency room and I'm sitting in, a, in the chair and I see, you know, a handful of people streaming in and they're going up to the front desk, checking in, and then they're sitting in a chair next to me, based on the context of where I'm at, it's safe to assume that they are either sick or injured, Correct. Context tells me that if they're coming into the emergency room, that they're probably sick or injured. It's just, it's contextual. It just, it just makes sense. And, and if I, like, if I go, if I'm sitting in a restaurant and I see people coming in and making reservations, context tells me that I can, it's safe to assume that most of those people are hungry. If I am at ISU and I'm in a classroom and I'm sitting up at the top corner and I see a bunch of young people in their 20s sitting in seats listening to a professor speak, context tells me that it's safe to assume that they are what? Students. I was expecting someone to say drunk, but nobody did. Good for you. It's safe to assume based on the context that they are students. And grace, grace has given us a context clue to the status and the nature of people's people's brokenness. And, and it's, Romans 3 says this, this is what Paul writes. He says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Everyone has sinned. I'm in everyone. You are in everyone. We, we all are under that category. And, and, and this is not a judgment. This is not a determination of someone's value or worth or, or goodness like I said, you're everyone and so am I. And, and in the same way that if you're a human being, you breathe oxygen and you need food and water to survive, those are context clues. If you don't need those things, come talk to me. I would love to know your secret. But if, in the same way that if you're human and you need those things, it's safe for me to assume that if you are a human being, 
that you have spiritual brokenness. Because I have it. We all have it. Every single person who's ever walked to this earth has some measure of spiritual brokenness, some, something that has separated us from God. We all do. And grace is so radical and so amazing. Because grace sets the context for us and it tells us that we're all broken because grace comes in to make us all right and to make us all good and all accepted by God. Because grace says this, it doesn't matter how good your good is or how bad your bad is, we all have spiritual brokenness. And so grace has to come in and make us right. And Jesus says, it doesn't matter how good your good is or how bad your bad is, you have spiritual brokenness, so I have to come in and make it right so that you can be connected to your loving and heavenly Father. Grace sets the context for us to just know this simple fact. Everyone has spiritual brokenness. Now here's our challenge. Okay, our challenge is this, is that our natural default as people is that we do make judgments. We do judge people based on outward appearance. And, and if I said, man, I want you to picture someone who just really needs Jesus. I mean, there's, there's things that we're naturally going to default to, right? The image in our mind, I guarantee you that when, when I say, man, picture someone who just really needs Jesus, probably that person does not have a really nice clothes. They probably don't drive a really nice car and live in a beautiful house. They probably don't have incredible pictures of their family and their spouse up on Facebook. They probably don't have a big full bank account when I say picture someone who really desperately needs Jesus. Here's an interesting fact. Did you know that the most under-evangelized group in the United States when it comes to people being told about Jesus are people who are wealthy? And the reason is, is because we make judgments. We, we, we look at someone like, man, nice clothes, nice car, nice job, nice family, cute kids. I don't, they probably don't need Jesus. They probably don't need me to tell them about Jesus because they're good. Oh, this person at work, they're, they're sharp, they're kind, they're always nice. They never complain. They always look like they got all their stuff together. Uh, they probably don't need me to tell them about Jesus. And so because we make a judgment Instead of assuming that everyone has brokenness, assuming that everyone needs Jesus to change and transform their lives, we miss out on our opportunity to share Jesus with people. And we miss out on the opportunity that God has called us to and placed out. And, and here's the thing, we can't imagine that someone who looks like they have a perfect life or a person who has a ton of money, we can't imagine that they struggle with feeling empty and having no purpose and like feeling like there's nothing more to life than what they have already. And we can't imagine that when we look at their perfect Instagram marriage, that their marriage is actually very cold and full of conflict. And we can't imagine that, you know, that that massive bank account and that big beautiful house that they live in, we can't imagine the fact that, you know, they might sit in there being willing to trade all of the money they have to just get rid of the shame and, and the regret that they feel for decisions that they made in the past. Maybe the shame and regret that they made in order to get to the full bank account that they have in that moment. We can't imagine those things because judgment creeps in. And honestly, assuming people's brokenness, assuming spiritual brokenness, is, is, it's honestly the opposite of judgment. Because it's, it's this understanding that God's grace is for everyone and that everyone needs it. And if you have Jesus, you have something to offer to anyone and everyone, no matter their economics, no matter their race, no matter their health, their wealth, or their age. If you know Jesus, you have something to offer 
everyone. All right, number five, the last one is this. We need to remember grace and remember the gospel. Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. Always remember what Jesus did. Always, every day when you get up, remember what God has done for you. Remember your life. This is why it's so important to know your story. Remember what God has done for you. And if we keep in the front of our minds what God has done for us and we remember his grace, then it's, it's so easy to have it available and ready to share with other people. Remind yourself every day of the good news and what it did for you. Remind each other. Man, when you're in your small group, at the end of every small group, we take up prayer requests, right? What if at the, at the end of every small group, we did this? We said, man, you remember what God, God has done for me? God changed my life. I don't ever want to forget that. God changed your life. And then how about if we did this? Who are you talking to about Jesus? Who are you praying for? Who is in your life? Can I pray for you that God will give you opportunity to share his love and his mercy and his grace with, to share the gospel with? We hold the good news, the power of God at work. We hold it close. In fact, the very first passage that we started off this entire message series with is the passage we're going to end it with because I think it is just the center and the heart of everything that Paul was trying to communicate in the book of Romans and, and to us in understanding and remembering the power of God's grace. And he says this in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. We hold the good news. God's grace, this message, we hold it close. We're not ashamed of it. We're not afraid to share it. We stand on it. Why? Because this is the power of God at work in my life. This message, the gospel, God's grace, and it is the power of God at work to save everyone who believes it, to save the people you work with and you go to school with, to save your family and your friends the gospel of God's grace. It's the power of God at work. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.